Welcome to Flip the Script Podcast. This is transmission number 23. So today we're going to continue reading from the book On Killing, written by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Last time we were on the topic of atrocities. We're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, Last podcast, we covered gray areas, areas that were on borderline, you know, um, but this time, we're going to be doing straight-up atrocities. This is going to be on uh, executions in combat. Uh, but first, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any of the other podcast platforms, make sure you hit the uh, subscription, hit the follow, uh, and share this podcast with your friends. If you're watching on YouTube, then hit the like, subscribe, and share this video with your friends as well. And we will get right into it. We're going to flip the script. This section is titled Black Areas Executions. Execution is defined as the close-range killing of a non-combatant, a civilian or a POW, who represents no significant or immediate military or a personal threat to the killer. The effect of such kills on the killer is immensely traumatic. Since the killer has limited internal motivation to kill the victim and kills almost entirely out of external motivations, the close range of the kill severely hampers the killer in his attempts to deny the humanity of the victim and severely hampers denial of personal responsibility for the kill. So he's saying that this type of kill, the execution style kill to an enemy non-combatant or civilian POW will hold some type of heavy traumatic effect on the person who's doing the killing. Now, I'd say I don't know about that. Um, Maybe for some people who who perform an execution, they will feel guilty, of course. Um, But listen, we've seen these types of killings in by by the enemy, right? We've seen them done by ISIS, Al Qaeda. Um, We even see them being performed by the drug cartels. And I don't know if they really feel bad about any of that. I really have to question that because, uh, you know, I've seen some videos. Um, Ed Manifesto, Ed uh, Calderon, I was on his Telegram channel before before it disappeared. And some of the stuff that he would receive from former students or from uh, people that he used to work with in his um, days of fighting against the cartel. Some of those videos I saw were, I can never forget them. And, um, you know, the people that were doing those things, they didn't seem to have any type of remorse, didn't seem to care at all. So I don't know how much people who are willing to actually perform an execution, an atrocity, would actually feel anything about that afterwards. I feel like those are the types of uh, psychopaths that just feel nothing, you know. All right, but let's continue. Let's flip the script and see what uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman has to say about this. He says, Jim Morris is an ex-Green Beret and Vietnam veteran turned writer. He interviews an Australian veteran from the Malaysian counterinsurgency who is trying to live with the memory of an execution. His story is entitled Killers in Retirement. No heroes, no villains, just mates. And this is an excerpt from that book. It says, This time we leaned against the wall on the opposite side of the room. He leaned forward, speaking softly and earnestly. This time there was no pretense. Here was a man bearing his soul. We attacked a terrorist prison camp and took a woman prisoner. 
She must have been pretty high up in the party. She wore the tabs of a commissioner. I already told my men we took no prisoners, but I'd never killed a woman. She must die quickly. We must leave, my sergeant said. Oh, God, I was sweating, Harry went on. She was magnificent. What's the matter, Mr. Ballantine? I asked. You're sweating? Not for you, I said. It's a malaria resurgence. I gave my pistol to my sergeant, and he just shook his head. None of them would do it. And if I didn't, I'd never be able to control the unit again. You're sweating, Mr. Ballantine, he said again. Not for you, I said. Did you kill her? Hell, I blew her effing head off, he replied. My whole platoon gathered around and smiled. You are our tuan. Malay for sir or leader. My sergeant said, you are our tuan. I'm not a priest. I'm not even an officer anymore. I hope my look told Harry I liked him. That it was okay with me if he forgave himself. It's hard to do, though. This is the spectrum of atrocity. This is how atrocity happens, but not why. So let's now examine why atrocity, the rationale of atrocity, and the dark power of atrocity leads to those who wield it. All right, so that's where we're going to continue on. We're going to go into the chapter two of this section, which is called The Dark Power of Atrocity. And then there's a subtitle. It says, The Problem of Righteousness comes out of the gun barrel. All right, so we just covered in the last podcast, in this podcast, about different levels of atrocity or about killing in combat. Uh, the first one was basically just killing your enemy. Your enemy um, is trying to kill you, but you're in a situation where you might be unarmed, right? Um, but he's still definitely a threat. There was gave an example of the helicopter pilots, Huey pilots in Vietnam, and all their helicopters were going down in a certain area. And one of the pilots that was driving saw that there was this woman standing in the rice paddies. She was on an elevated position and she could see over the trees and that she was able to tell what direction that the incoming uh, helicopters were coming in. And he realized that she was giving direction to the machine gun camps that they had, the machine gun nests that they had scattered throughout that were able to shoot down these helicopters because of her direction. So he made a decision to take that woman out because a helicopter had just gone down. She was unarmed. She was just out in the rice paddies. But she's giving direction to the Viet Cong who were shooting down American helicopters. So that was considered to be a gray area. As so we think about it now and it's say, okay, well, she was unarmed. She wasn't really doing anything. But she was doing something. She was actually killing a bunch of Americans killing, taking down a bunch of helicopters. See, that's what she was doing. That's what was her job. Just because she didn't pull the trigger doesn't mean that she didn't assist or actually cause those helicopters to go down, right? So that was considered a gray area. In today's standards, a lot of the stuff that we're covering in today's standards might be, I wouldn't want to be in those positions today, I'll tell you that. And uh, definitely in this next section that we're going to be covering about the actual atrocity of an execution that we just saw that is definitely under no circumstances morally right and you don't want to do that anymore the you know taking no prisoners thing i I can understand it you know um you're gonna have to suck that up and take those prisoners especially nowadays can't do that no way unless you're gonna end up on cnn fox news msnbc uh, you're going to be a national disgrace. You're going to, and unless you want that to happen, 
you better take those prisoners or t- or leave them. You know what I mean? If you can't take them, leave them. That's it. You will end up on the news. You will become a celebrity in the wrong way. You don't want to do that. You don't want to put your family through that. You don't want to put yourself through that. All right, so let's flip the script. Let's continue. The problem, righteousness comes out of the barrel. On a cold, rainy training day in Fort Lewis, Washington, I listened to soldiers talk who had just completed a prisoner of war exercise. One held that the enemy troops should be marched through an area saturated with persistent nerve gas. Another stated that the Claymore mine presented the most cost-effective and energy-efficient method of disposing of POWs. His buddy claimed that they were both being wasteful and that POWs could best be used for minefield clearing and reconnaissance of nuclear and chemical contaminated areas. The battalion chaplain who was standing nearby began to address this obvious moral issue. The chaplain cited the Geneva Conventions and discussed our nation as a force of righteousness, the support of God for our cause. The problematic soldiers, this moral approach didn't go far. The Geneva Convention was dismissed, and our forward observer said that in school, they told them that the Geneva Convention says you can't fire white phosphorus at troops, so you call it in in their equipment. If you're going to find a way around the Geneva Convention, what do you think the enemy is going to do? Another said, if you get captured by the Russians, we might as well kiss it off. So why not give them a dose of the same medicine? To the chaplain's righteousness and support of God comment, the cold, wet soldier's answers were along the lines of righteousness comes out of a gun barrel, and the victor writes history. At Fort Benning, I too heard the Geneva Convention and write phosphorus on equipment line during the artillery patch of Officer Candidate School, an infantry officer basic course, Ranger School, and infantry mortar platoon officer course by the instructor at Ranger School, and he clearly communicated his personal belief that in a raid or an ambush, a patrol could not be expected to take POWs. I had noted that the most of the outstanding young soldiers coming to us from Ranger Battalion shared this Ranger School belief. All right, so this was an interesting passage that we just read there. So these guys had just finished doing a POW training, and they were discussing the best way to handle POWs. One said, uh, have them clear out uh, landmines or um, contaminated nuclear areas. Um, one suggested just put them off on a Claymore mine. Basically, they were coming up with ways that what they could do with these POWs, right? And so the chaplain hears this and the chaplain says, um, no, actually, you can't do that because of the Geneva Convention and because uh, America is a righteous fighting force, right? And we don't do those types of things. That's not what... Uh, that's not who we are, right? So these guys, they go and say, oh, yeah, well, the Geneva Convention also says we can't shoot white phosphorus at people, but we could shoot it at their equipment. So meaning that you can't shoot white phosphorus at, you know, a human being, but you could shoot at the rifle. You know what I mean? That's their equipment. So that's what the Geneva Convention was saying. So they said their argument was if we could find ways to get around the Geneva Convention, then think about what our enemy is going to do. We get captured by the Russians. What do you think is going to happen to us? Right. And I understand that point. That's a completely logical way of thinking that if we were to get captured by the enemy, what would happen to us? You know, I mean, especially in our in the wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, you get captured by the Taliban, it's a good chance you're gonna be beheaded on 
video and be distributed throughout the world. Same thing if you get if you got captured by Al Qaeda, you got captured by ISIS. There's a good possibility you will be beheaded on in front of the world and put it on on the internet. Your mom's gonna see it. That was one thing. When I listen, when I went to Iraq, I always said if I ever got captured, I'm not gonna allow myself to get put in that position. I'm gonna cause a problem. I'm gonna fight until they kill me before that I even get to that thing because I'm not I wasn't gonna be put on TV. I wasn't gonna be made an example of for my mom to see my execution on live TV. Um, you know, thankfully I never got put in that position. Um, you know, but I can understand that rationale. However, there's that way of thinking, and then there's the way of thinking of if you were to do that, and then the worst things possible, and then the next thing that happens is you get jammed up in an international scandal, and your name is dragged through the mud, you're on the news, you won't be able to work anywhere, right? So I understand this logic, but cooler heads have to prevail, and you have to seriously think about the consequences of doing something like that. And it's not going to end up well. And I think in every war, this is a lesson that has to be relearned from its soldiers that are going out to fight. Because in every war, it's going to happen. You could have all the rules, regulations, all that stuff put in place, but eventually it's going to come up again. Every war, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in future wars. It's happened in present wars. It's going to continue to happen. All right, so let's, uh, let's continue. Let's flip the script. Uh, this is a subtitle, and it says, A Solution, I'll Shoot You Myself. So you saw what they did here. You saw in the first uh, subtitle was the, was the problem of righteousness comes out of a gun barrel. So now we hear a solution, and it's, I'll shoot you myself. So let's see what this is about. It says, to confront this belief, I said, basically, if the enemy finds just one massacre, like our soldiers did in the Battle of the Bulge, then thousands of enemy soldiers will swear never to surrender, and they'll be very tough to fight, just like our troops were in the Battle of the Bulge. When word got around that the Germans were shooting POWs, in addition, that's all the excuse the enemy needs to kill our captured soldiers. So by murdering a few prisoners who were just tired soldiers like you, you'll make the enemy force a damn sight tougher and cause the deaths of murders of a whole bunch of our boys. On the other hand, if you disarm, tie up, and leave a POW out in clearing somewhere because you can't take him with you, then the word will spread that the Americans treat POWs honorably. Even when the chips are down and the whole bunch of scared, tired soldiers will surrender rather than die, in World War II, the Germans were treating Soviet POWs like dogs, and yet a whole corps came over to their side. How would they behave if they faced the humane enemy? The last thing you ought to know is that if I ever catch any of you heroes killing a POW, I'll shoot you right on the spot because it's illegal, because it's wrong, because it's dumb, and it's one of the worst things you could do to help us win a war. I didn't bother to include the possibility of organizing Soviet POWs and defectors into combat units and were very real importance of capturing POWs for intelligence purposes. All right, so there you go. So this guy said that if you're going to execute POWs, you have to understand that the enemy is going to kill our POWs. Well, by you killing enemy POWs, you put our men who are POWs serious danger. And he said that the better thing to do if you have come across POWs, you can't take long with you. 
is to tie them up, disarm them, tie them up, and leave them, right? And then whoever finds them will be like, okay, and Americans, they left, uh, you know, they treat our POWs honorably. You know, they didn't mess with them. They didn't do anything to them. They just tied them up. And the other option is to turn these POWs into for counterintelligence purposes, right? That takes a little bit more skill to do, but that's definitely a possibility. And you could definitely get more information out of a POW that is alive than you can of one who is dead. So that's where that thinking was. So this guy said, you know, if I catch any of you doing anything like that to a POW, I'm going to shoot you myself because it's illegal. Uh, it's immoral. It's a stain on our nation, right? So that's a, uh, you know, that's the, that's that end of the spectrum. All right. So now we're going into a subtitle section titled The Lesson of a Greater Problem. All right. Let's see what that's about. Let's flip the script. The most important point here is that nobody has ever pointed out to me the potential repercussions of improper POW handling. No leader of mine has ever stood up and clearly stated this position to me and defended it. In fact, the opposite has occurred. As a private and a sergeant, I have had enlisted superiors strongly defend the execution of POWs whenever it was inconvenient to take them alive. And at the time, I accepted it as reasonable. But they never made me understand the vital importance of the deadly ramifications of POW handling or mishandling on the battlefield because I think they themselves did not understand. Our soldiers may commit war crimes and thereby cause us to lose one of the basic combat multipliers that we have available to us, the tendency of an oppressed people to become disloyal to their nation. Wow. That is uh, invaluable right there, right? I mean, that is like to get an oppressed population to become disloyal to their nation. That is amazing. That's that You want to take down an enemy? Then you have their own people become disloyal to them. That is the best thing that could happen. That goes back to Sun Tzu of winning a war without even fighting, right? If you could make their people turn against them, you don't even have to fight. All right, let's continue. Let's flip the script. One interviewer of the World War II POWs told me that German soldiers repeatedly told him that relatives of World War I combat experience had advised be brave, join the infantry, and surrender to the first Americans you see. American reputation for fair play and respect for human life had survived over generations. And the decent actions of American soldiers in World War I had saved the lives of many soldiers in World War II. Wow, that is something else, right? When German World War I soldiers were telling soldiers from, uh, German soldiers from World War II uh, to be smart, be brave, join the infantry, and then surrender to the first Americans you see. That is because of the actions of how the World War I soldiers treated POWs in the past. Those guys remembered that and they told these guys, hey, surrender to American soldiers. That is, wow, well played. All right, so let's continue. It goes, this American's position on the role of atrocity in combat, and this is the logic behind it. But there is another position that many nations have taken over the use of atrocity and warfare. And there is another logic to be considered. The other logic is that twisted logic of atrocity, which we must understand if we are to completely understand killing. This is, this is titled The Empowerment. And this is a quote from Lord Moran of The Anatomy of Courage. War has no power to transform. It merely exaggerates the good and evil that are in us. Wow. 
That is true. And on that note, we are going to stop here. We will pick up where we left off in the next podcast titled Empowerment Through Death. This is an excellent book. I seriously advise you to pick this up. I'm only reading small sections of it. I know it sounds like I'm reading a lot, but I'm really not. Uh, This book is uh, pretty intense. It's got a lot of information on it. Um, I suggest all the books of Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman for those who are wanting to learn about the warrior mindset. These books were very influential on me when I read them. So that's why I'm sharing them with you. Um, It's very important for us who are in the warrior lifestyle that we understand these things. Um, And that's that's where we're going to leave off for today. This is Flip the Script Podcast. Again, please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the share button on the podcast platforms, write a review. That will get my podcast to uh, get more recognition, share it, especially if you're a returning listener and you enjoy this podcast, share it to people who you think will also enjoy this podcast, right? Don't keep it to yourself, spread the word. All right, so that's it for today. This is Flip the Script Podcast out.